0: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Dark Before Dawn. Um, we're we're talking to people who have extraordinary stories, remarkable uh, overcoming journeys and have faced adversity that is kind of unlike any other and just significant tragedy loss things like that and and folks have through their faith of course um have been able to rise up from the ashes uh if you will and really i i would say our scars become our scaffolding and and it has allowed our guests today to elevate in a in a direction toward a purpose that I don't know that she thought really was in the cards for her until that crazy, crazy turn of events back in 2017. Um, So I want to introduce and read a little bit about our guest today. Michelle Black is a Gold Star widow. Um, Her husband, Brian, was a Green Beret and was... Uh, lost his life in action back in 2017 um, in an ambush in Niger, Africa, uh, really a botched uh, botched leadership, I will say, and I'm not going to put words in Michelle's mouth. She wrote a book and talked all about it, and we're going to talk about that, but from what I've heard in all the interviews, I've I've listened to Michelle's story. I There was a lot of botching going on, Um, but the guys did what they were called to do. They stayed true to the mission, true to each other. Um, They were obedient, faithful soldiers, and were led into this compromising situation that they really couldn't get out of. And and it ultimately took um, some lives that should have never been taken so i you know i i know she's she's an author like i said she's the first person to graduate high school in her family i think graduated from college um cal poly tech state cal poly state um and and did uh what was it environmental science and horticulture that's pretty cool um but has written a book has been published in the new york times um, the daily beast task and purpose um she lives in the great pacific northwest so i want to formally welcome Michelle Black. Welcome.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me and yeah I was the first female in my family to um, graduate college or high school um, and the first person in my family to wow. um, have ever went to and graduated college.
0: Wow that's crazy and from what I heard along the way your story some of the interviews I've Uh, you got a pretty big extended family. Am I right? It's like north of 20 cousins. I don't know. Is that right?
1: Yes, I have 26 cousins. Um, And I mean, since I graduated, I was one of the older, you know, um, cousins. So there have been some since that time. Um, They've all graduated high school now, of course. And there have been several who have gone on and, and gotten degrees and you know, so that's been impressive. But yeah, 26 cousins and four siblings. And uh, yeah, just a lot of people all in one little town. So that's
0: crazy. So you you sort of started the process of showing folks it could be done uh, at the college level. And um, along the way, you know, met Brian. Um, he was in he was a Green Beret in the army and was like we talked about just kind of a victim of a botched situation and a mission that went south um, in an ambush. So I kind of want you to give us just a little idea of the, the, the day that you, I mean, we're coming up, what last month came up on four years uh, since that time, it was in October of 2017 that that happened. Talk to us about maybe the weeks leading up to the mission, because I remember you saying you kind of had a little bit of a, a gut feeling. Like I always say moms, moms and wives, man, if they've got a gut feeling, man, we need to listen, listen to this. But I know you, you mentioned something about, you didn't, you had kind of an uneasy feeling. So take us a little bit up to that point and then receiving that call or that or receiving the the knock on the door and that kind of thing. And then a little bit of what transpired after.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, um, I've always been very um sensitive to just premonitions and just knowing when things are going to happen and and sometimes I feel like it's God telling me um I hear very specific things other times it's just I don't know how to explain it yeah um so with Brian um it started Pretty much the day he left, dropping him off at the airport, I didn't feel um, right about dropping him off, but I felt like I had no other choice because it's the army. You either go and, it, mm-hmm. you know, or, or you lose your job. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it didn't feel reasonable. And there was no argument I could make for it other than a feeling. And it felt like Brian was, was feeling the same. Um, and so he left. It was, I believe, August 28th. And within the first week, I began looking out my window all the time, looking for um, strange cars to pull into my driveway, men in uniform to be walking across my lawn. Um, So I felt like I was constantly watching that for that for weeks. Um, And one day, couple weeks after Brian deployed my youngest son who's very similar to me he seems to always be very spiritually aware he came up to me and um basically said mom dad's not coming home is he and uh I had to lie because I, I I felt the same and I just said mm-hmm. no of course he's coming home we just need to pray for him like we always do mm-hmm. and uh Couple of weeks later, I got the knock at the door.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wonder too. Um, you mentioned the the feeling and kind of looking outside a lot during those days and weeks, and I, um, I got to think that even, you know, most military families probably have that little bit always kind of at that itch of somebody's going to pull in the driveway like you know it could be any moment you know and I but but to you it felt a little more than just kind of uh it's just part of the you know kind of cost of doing business with the military and being married to somebody in the military you you had a little bit more to go on and you felt like maybe you were being told something and and so when when that day happened and that knock came at the door I mean (sighs) Out of body experience, um, surreal isn't even a big enough word. Like, you you knew in your spirit you had to be strong for the two boys. And, and but take us, I guess, a little bit through some, kind of what you had to dig into about yourself, and and what kind of surprised you, I guess, during those those a couple days or that moment. What what shocked you about yourself in that moment where you really had to dig in for strength.
1: I think the most surprising thing, and I've I've talked to this to, about this with a lot of other widows um, that I didn't know beforehand, is um, the first thing that happens. I, I wasn't one of those people who screamed and fell to the ground. I mean, I definitely my knees buckled, um, but I went into very real, tangible shock. And I hear a lot of widows do that. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a strange feeling where all of a sudden everything's happening around you. And it's almost like you're at the center of the storm because y- you are.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and you're just watching it happen. And um, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't, I mean, I guess you could say it wasn't like being in an out-of-body experience, but that wasn't really it. It was more like, yeah, like you were just at the center of the storm and everything was swirling around you going crazy. People were freaking out. People were crying and I was having to make calculated decisions and it was hard to grasp anyone's thought. Thoughts were just coming and going really fast. Um, And so trying to make calculated decisions in the middle of that, and fortunately for shock, I was able to be completely shut off from all the chaos around me. So, uh, you know, like you see people in shock sometimes and they're just staring at a wall, like they're not even mentally present. And then that was it. So I would say that that was kind of how, where I, um, where I worked from. And fortunately growing up, um, well, not necessarily growing up in the church, but growing up in a Christian family. And then in college, studying the Bible um, backwards and forwards, you know, I had some key um, memorized verses. And so I just drew from those and it was like, okay, you know, I just have to trust he who makes all things new you know, there's, there's always, you know, there's always something better just around the bend. So, so it was just like, I had to trust God.
0: Yeah. you he, got and, a plan in were, all of this. And you also, so your upbringing, you mentioned some of that, um, you kind of grew up in a, 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 you know, you guys worked hard, right. You, you guys grew up in a, maybe a, a agricultural society or a family that was more kind of in the trenches, right? You guys worked. You guys, and, and your dad was—he didn't kind of—he didn't let you really buckle under certain emotional stress that you might go through. Like he was one of those, "Hey, let's pull ourselves up by the bootstraps," kind of guy. Am I right? Um, oh yeah. Tell it, yeah. And so that might have—I mean, do you feel like that played a part? And you know, just some of your upbringing in that moment of—did you feel like you already had sort of a foundation to be able to handle adversity anyway?
1: Yeah, I started from a young age just, you know, fighting a lot of different um, battles just naturally because I was a very, um, you know, now it, it's so much more common in our society to talk about um, people with anxiety, social anxiety, and and, and rather, and, and I think that's good, I think it's good to um, be cognizant of that and sensitive to that, aware of it, um, and like, okay, they're not just a rude person; they're very uncomfortable here, or they're socially anxious. But growing up, I was very—we just would call it shy. I was shy. I couldn't, I couldn't speak to people or make eye contact. I had very high social anxiety, but I was not allowed to use that as an excuse or a crutch. So we would go out. And I had a big, loud family, and no one was allowed to order for me at restaurants. Um, And so it was my dad just sitting there, letting it be silent until I would squeak out my order. And sometimes I'd have to order, you know, repeat myself 10 times before the waitress heard me. And that was excruciating Mm -hmm. for me, but it made me um, push ahead. And yeah, we were there were no excuses in my family. You, you learned if you, if you couldn't do it, you learned how to do it. Um, and you know, we were also a very self-made family. My dad, we come, I come from a long line of business owners. And, um, so everybody figured out their own, you know, little niche and worked, um, doing that so like my dad's dad owned one of the biggest sporting goods in southern california growing up Mm. my mom's dad owned um, a rug manufacturing company um he was one of the ones to develop um shag carpeting um and my dad um even though he you know he got his ged when he uh or not uh yeah he got his ged when he was 17 and left home he ended up Um, learning the auto body industry opened up his own auto body shop ended up then to forward you know to make that more successful he bought a tow truck company so he could tow all the cars to his shop and then the next thing you know he pretty much owned the all the um the only auto body shop in town in a fairly large and growing town i mean it was a small town but it was it was isolated so he had all the business and yeah. he um, eventually bought out a lot of the real estate, real estate um, commercial real estate property in town wow. so and we worked hard you know as That's kids cool. it was up at seven and and feeding the animals or out help yeah. helping lay fence uh, fencing and i mean it yeah. was just yeah so we, some of
0: the well and not to, i'm sorry to interrupt but no i just can't I, it's hard to see back then and and kids now too like you, you can't really tell what your parents are trying to build in you at the time, it's just a drag, right? And we fight it, but your dad having those ethics and principles and, you know, the work ethic in that, I mean, subconsciously built this in you to with withstand to some degree, something that would happen years later that would just turn your world upside down. And uh, like you said, the scripture started coming back to you. I would imagine some of those things that your dad instilled in you kind of came back and just really sort of, solidified your footing emotionally to a degree again it's 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 not a perfect system but if if we can go to this place of your book so after the after the news it's a long process of you know just grieving and uh dealing with what comes next like you're now the you're the sole provider you're the the anchor of the family with your two boys and what's next had to just kind of come up in your mind a lot well you wrote a book called sacrifice a gold stars a gold star widow's uh fight for the truth i gotta ask first did you did you ever like consider yourself a big writer before this and then along the way like what what were you hoping that would come out of this process of writing the book?
1: I had never considered myself a big writer. Um, I, I had started writing a few times just because I enjoyed it. And I thought, who knows, maybe one day I'll have time and I love reading. And so I would love to write um, a book. And I thought, oh, I'll write children's stories or, you know, I'll write some of the stories from growing up. Um, You know, there's got to be some good lessons or, you know, something. I think we've all heard people say, oh, you should write a book about that, you know, just the way, you know. So I thought, oh, maybe I will someday. But no, I, I never really thought that I would actually write a book and actually manage to get one published. That was a very daunting idea. Um, (laughs) and when I began this, this book, it, it didn't seem like there were any other options. Mm. It, it was just from the minute, well, from the minute Brian died, I thought I'm going to write a book about Brian because I felt that kids need to know who their father is. They need to know who their parents are. So they know who they are. And I thought this is a tragedy on that level too, because they these kids, my boys are never going to know this incredible man who their father is and, and that they have him in them and that they can aspire to be greater because of where they come from. And so that was my first initial thought is I'm going to write down all these incredible stories about Brian and about our life. And I'm going to put that in a little book and and self-publish it. And and great, you know, I, I didn't think by any stretch that, oh, I'm going to get this great published book, and all these people are going to want to read about Brian, you know, or me. Like we're not that interesting, but I thought we're going to collect this and put it into a book for, for family and for kid, for my kids. Mm. Um, and then as, as things progressed after Brian was killed, um, that's when my goal changed from this book needs to be about Brian to, I'm not even writing a book about Brian anymore. Um, this incident is turning into a complete just what the military calls a foo bar so it's you know yeah oh yeah <laughs> effed up beyond belief beyond right. the, all all
0: recognition all yeah. recognition
1: yes and so basically it's um i just thought this is one of those things where you always wonder like you know what's the real truth behind the Pat Tillman story? We all hear about Pat Tillman. What's the real story behind Benghazi, you know? And I thought, what's the real truth behind the Niger ambush that my husband was killed in? I, at the very least, deserve to know that. Um, And so do all the other family members. So from that point forward, um, I kind of just, as I do naturally being a socially anxiety-ridden person, Mm. kind of pulled back into my own little ball and started contacting like the guys on the team and, and, um, you know, just started this whole thing of trying to root out the truth for myself.
0: You felt like, uh, uh, you felt like a detective at this point, right? You were really going to try to dig and get facts and specifics from people on the ground. I mean, what better place to go? So you started sort of compiling this information, but yeah, you almost had to put on the hat of detective, didn't you?
1: yeah exactly and so at that point especially once the team members started being blamed and I knew they were under gag orders. And it was clear to me that um, there there was a point when General Waldhauser, the commander of all of AFRICOM, which is Africa Command. Mm. um, So he's the commander, he's ordered this investigation. And at the end of the investigation, he goes before the media and he says, all teams on the continent are performing well, but this team is not indicative of what special operators do. So he insulted my husband and all of the men who fought and died alongside him so when he did that that's when i was like okay there is nobody on my side there is nobody that i can trust the media is reporting this they've bought it hook line and sinker um and so the guys were at a complete loss they were about to run and be investigated for a second time
0: Mm. and
1: be punished and um so they didn't know who to trust so I just said hey you can trust me like if Brian had come back if he'd survived he'd be in the same position as you guys are mm-hmm. so um we all made an agreement and we began moving forward from there so I ended up in um interviewing them I interviewed Major Alan Van Son who lost his job over it I interviewed the former South Africa commander General Don Baldock. um And I interviewed um, men who were back at the advanced operating base running communications during the ambush, Mm -hmm. as well as the former um, Helleborn unit commander who ended up getting turned around, um, Team Arlette, and um, a couple guys who also happened to be on the ground during um, the investigative team's visit to Tongo Tongo following the ambush and saw where the brass was and what the area looked like after the ambush which included um trees having limbs sawed off like like there had been like the villagers were trying to cover for what happened there um so you couldn't see all the bullet holes um where le david had fallen there were several piles of brass um one of the guys had told me yeah he clearly had emptied a couple magazines while he laid under there just fighting until his last breath so i have a i have a
0: question i have a question who did you get you had to have had somebody sort of help facilitate this digging process, because how did you know all these pieces to try to connect and all the people that you had just listed of who you interviewed? Like what, what was, did you, did you have somebody that said, okay, we need to get this guy, this guy, this guy, or did you just, you just kind of know, this is who I want to interview and you like, how did you get all of those pieces in place to interview those key uh, participants?
1: Honestly, the survivors, um, once they began to be punished, they were willing to help me and willing to contact people and say, hey, who's, who's interested in speaking with her? My she gosh. isn't. Um, and, and I'd made them this promise, like, I'm, I'm not the media. I will not give this to anybody. If you interview with me and you change your mind, I will toss out the interview if you suddenly become uncomfortable up until yeah. I sign with an actual publisher you don't need to, um, you don't need to worry because these interviews belong to you. If you you say, Hey, I want you to share it with this news outlet. Um, I will, if you say, I don't want you to, then I won't. Um, and the other thing was before, um, so they gave me all their photographs and all their videos as well. And then everything I would go through piece by piece, which, which People are comfortable with me using this photo. If you're in the photo and you don't want your face shown, let me know. And I'll either cut the photo off. So I have some photos where there's a full photo of like the entire team Mm -hmm. and I've cut it down to just a few people. And that's because those, those men specifically only wanted their face shown, um, or, you know, specific people didn't. So, so there were pieces like that, but also, yeah, they would contact other people back at the, who were at the AOB with them or that they knew were at the AOB and, and, Hey, are you interested in talking or do you at least want to give your two cents on this? What's your recollection from that day without adding your name to it? So we'd get little things like that going.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I, I don't know if you like being quoted back to yourself or not, but I wanted to read a quote from your book that, is pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. And um, so it says, you say, I'm, I am heartbroken, but I am not broken. I will not be another victim of the men who took my husband's life. That quote just kind of shook me a little bit. And when I read it and I, I have to, I have to know. So how have you is vindicated the right word? Would you say that you maybe surprised yourself in a way when you wrote this, like what about Michelle black came out during this, after this book was published, released and talked about, what about you came out that you were like, wow, that, that really was me. Like, I had no idea that I had that in me. Like, was there something about you that surprised you?
1: Um, I think because I'd been through so much in my life prior I've always felt that these things just lie dormant and when necessary, they rise to the surface. Mm. And so by this point in my life, when this happened, no, I felt like I kept these things at bay and trusted in the process that the military, that the officials running the investigation would um, be honest, that the officers involved would be honest. So I kept, that part of me at bay. Um, I think who who I am as a person, I always want to be kind, gracious, forgiving and, and hope for the best. And I don't want these pieces to rise up where suddenly I am, I've reached that point where I am so fed up where I have to become that warrior i I don't want to have to be and i don't i think we we live in a society where we brag about our strength and i'm so savage don't ever hope that you're put in a position where you have to use that savage don't don't ever want that i've been there several times and uh we all have have that inside of us but we shouldn't we shouldn't want it
0: and you were your back was against the wall in this process of writing the book and you, you had a mission, you know, just like Brian had a mission, you had a mission to get the truth and to tell the story and out of respect and honor for those, those folks who died. Um, And so you kind of had your back against the wall you sort of had to dig into those qualities that maybe you're not so willing to exhibit on a daily basis. Right. And maybe that, that I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I'll come right at you and get in your face if I have to. And because you had a mission, you kept the main thing, the main thing, which is commendable because, and I, and I consider you very courageous um, to dig in because I I can only imagine the people that had some things to say maybe in a negative light about the book or you, or the, you know, like you said, the, the fallen soldiers that they were saying weren't indicative of those teams, which is, Um, I don't think there's, I can say the word for that on here, but, um, yeah, so you had to sort of get those things to come out of you, um, because they sort of forced you to do that, to get the truth. But, um, yeah, I I think, you know, writing this book, obviously you've had people ask you, was it cathartic and, and maybe it was, uh, but do you feel like you completed the mission? that you set out to do with this book and, and the truth that you were in search of?
1: I feel like I've begun to, I feel like when this book reaches the amount of people that I think it needs to reach in order to affect change within our military system. And, and, um, the thing is that I love our military. I love the the ideals. Um, I love service, sacrifice. I think all of these things are so key and so important. Um, There's so many things in the military that I love. What I don't love is the fact that there can be officers who force men on a mission and then um, can turn around and allow these men to take the fall for their decisions. Yeah. The chain of command is failing those at the lowest levels, and until we can fix that issue, um, my book has not done the job or the the purpose that um, that I set out for it to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's going to be a a process and a journey, and and I know it's happening. Like you said, I think it's starting to <clears throat> land right I think it's starting to land in those places that it needs to land in to tell the story and people to really get on board and and be behind what you're saying because um, <clears throat> that needs to be told I've, I've listened to you talk about this to D de- in detail that we may not get into here but in the details of and I, I encourage people read the book because it, it there are details there that that are very important for this process but I mean I hear you talk about it and there's a lot that needs to be said. And and I think it's awesome. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard from other gold star families um, that were not only involved with this particular mission, but other missions where they're just kind of like you go girl. Like, you know, we, we, we need a voice, like the people that are left behind need a voice to honor the people that were taken. And, and that's what you're doing, which is just, it's mind boggling to me. Um, So kind of, transition a little bit you know was there anything pleasant about this process because like I told you before we get record I want to know more about Michelle like I I want to know about this what this thing that happened and and I hear you talk about how great Brian uh, was um, just a crazy intelligent guy smart 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 chess champion that kind of thing and a green beret but I want to know about Michelle and I want to know did Did something pleasantly surprise you, anything throughout the process of writing this book?
1: There were a lot of things that um surprised me, (laughs) both bad and good. I was gonna Uh, say
0: pleasantly. I knew that I knew there were on the other side of the coin, but yeah. yeah, what about pleasantly?
1: Uh pleasantly, I would say that um, well, I mean, there were parts where I felt like I could just flow and write forever and I absolutely loved it Mm. and despite the really painful parts I mean painful beyond um the heartache of certain pieces that I had to write but what I mean is painful as far as the editing process Mm. it is brutal you have to allow someone to take when you write it is so um personal you pour out your soul and the last thing you want it's like letting somebody read your journal and then mark through it and say this is stupid what you just wrote is dumb no one's gonna like this I mean that's what it's that like you're Feels so like lame that, I mean that, that's Beautiful. that's the editing process I mean it's it's not really like that but it is right. you know you talk about you know criticism versus constructive criticism and I had to remind myself so many times, okay, this is not criticism, this is constructive criticism. And I need to like recover from this criticism, maybe take a day and then get back up tomorrow, dust myself off and say, okay, this was for my own good. And this person isn't doing this because they want me to fail. They're doing it because they want me to improve and succeed. And um, so one of the most wonderful things was just that, that there were so many people who wanted me to succeed, who took a chance on me. And that to me, um, that was very, very, um, I don't know, encouraging, but- Yeah, yeah, it's good to hear. Yeah,
0: that's awesome.
1: Yeah, so it it was people all over from between, um, you know, um, people with the New York times, um, the LA times, I mean, just different people at different newspaper newspapers, like major newspapers reaching out and say, Hey, you know, if there's anything we can do to help you, um, or, um, you know, agents who were like, we'd love to help you, um or, you know, editors, once I, once I, at my publishing house Mm that, you know, my, my editor just being like, you're doing awesome. Keep it up. You know, like this, I know this is a hard process. Don't take it personally. You don't have to accept our edits. Mm -hmm. Um, but these are just suggestions. So, so just learning that process and realizing like everybody's there on my team cheering me on, even if I get in my head a little and, and think that, oh, they're, they're being critical. No, they're, they're on your side. Yeah. You know? So that was a really neat thing to learn is like, Hey, people aren't against me. And I think after going through such a long period of feeling attacked after losing Brian and then having the media tell these stories that weren't true, but they didn't know any better. They, they were being fed these stories by the military, um, officials running the investigation and, you know, um, and then the video coming out of the Niger yeah. ambush, the head cam video. So had feeling constantly under attack for nine months. I mean, there really was what, you know, what people call PTSD. It was very, very much real. Wow. Um, so it was a hard thing to transition into, oh, these aren't people attacking me. These are people who are helping me to improve. Yeah. And so that was a really healthy process. And that was one of the things I loved most about writing was how yeah. difficult it was, but overcoming and changing my view of it.
0: Yeah. That's that's great. No, that's awesome. And and that it, it would be a pleasant surprise given the fact that you were feeling a little bit uh attacked in some of this process, but to have people in your corner is is huge. And that that's a perfect segue because I wanted to talk a little bit transition into family, right? Now we're now we're kind of the books out. You're you're doing some speaking um, this book's making a, a splash. Um, still work to be done. But now y- you know, you've got another hat of you're the mo- you know, you got two boys. Um, and now I you know, one of them's I think in high school and the other one maybe what junior high, middle school, something. Yeah. yeah so great. I don't know. Talk about them a little bit and what what's been maybe your biggest hurdle um in doing this by yourself and and making sure that they uh hear about their dad a lot or know who he was because like you said you wrote this book because you felt like they needed to know this and and uh so what's been kind of the biggest hurdle but yet maybe the biggest reward with these two guys
1: i think the biggest hurdle as any mom of boys especially who suddenly dad's out of the picture is that all of those guy things that your husband would do with the boys you have I mean you have to do it or I mean no one else is going to do it for you Mm. I mean literally you know my one son he wants to shoot guns he wants to go to the range and I'm like I am not a gun person. He is. He's when he gets a gun, he's just an incredible shot. He's gone out um, one summer, you know, the Green Berets took him out and and he did some shooting with the guys. And and that was awesome. They facilitated this whole like safe shooting range and and set it up for him. And and he's a remarkable shot. But um, I am not someone who's been around guns a lot and wants to go out shooting every day. and, And I'm, you know, I'm balancing all the mom stuff and all the work stuff. And so things that dad would normally do with them, you know, they want to learn to fish. They want to learn to hunt. They want to learn to, and I'm just going, okay. Um, I've never hunted in my life. I definitely can't pack a deer out of a hike, you know, go yeah. hike up. Like to me, that's just, you know, overwhelming. And yeah. so that's part part of the reason why we moved um, nearer to Brian's dad um or his parents after Mm -hmm. he died you know because unfortunately my dad i lost him about 10 years ago because he was a big hunter fisher he did Mm -hmm. every sport known to man he was you know a man's man um and so that was awesome but there's not that so now um i brought them near grandpa so Mm -hmm. brian's dad takes them you know um what is it uh, to do archery okay. and so we're talking about maybe setting them up with a gun club with grandpa but th- those are big challenges as a mom it's really heartbreaking because you just mm-hmm. go i i cannot you know there's certain things that as a mom i cannot do for my teenage boys yeah. i just can't yeah. um so you try, you try your best, you know, but yeah, you have to be mom and dad. And sometimes that just doesn't work out. So having to teach them things like, okay, here's what you do on a date. Here's how you treat girls. Here's how you, you know, whatever. And and that's very complicated. Um, well, you've
0: got a very good perspective though, for them that can only help them in the long run for that kind of stuff. Relationships for sure. Yeah. Um, so okay, well, so that's awesome that you moved them back, and and you you probably got some more folks that are around them that, like you're you sound pretty strategic and calculated. Where, I'm sure there's some mentoring or, or maybe even some coaches or teachers at school or different people that you've probably identified as being valuable resources to to be that mentor in a way, um, or just maybe that person to support them. Uh, So I want to ask to, as we sort of kind of navigate toward uh, being respectful of your time and letting you get back to this uh, this crazy life, man. um, What what I there's something I call a uh, a smolder switch. So when these calls of sort of the thing that happened with Brian or the past of losing your dad or you know different things in your life, like you said, you've had a an interesting journey of. Uh, adversity. Uh, but when the Brian Coles start to kind of rear their ugly head again, I don't know if there are triggers that maybe set off certain emotions to a degree for you. Is there something you go to to maybe kind of smolder that out a little? Like, what are the things that, and this is for somebody listening that is maybe in the middle of something like this now, and they're, they're you know, these things are flaring up. Do you have moments that flare up emotionally, just triggers that set you off a little bit? Uh, in, in sadness or grief or anger or whatever, what, what do you control those with? What do you, how do you contain that?
1: Well, you know, um, I think it's always good to allow yourself to just have a good cry when you need one. Um, but you know, there's also that can't be it. You know, I think some people, they, they allow themselves to just be, completely consumed and that our whole life becomes about this death about this loss and, and that's very bleak so what I do is um, growing up I was very um, I was an athlete I you know I, I ran cross country and track in high school and college and then I was um, I started snowboarding at 12 I started skiing when I was like three you know so I was very active Um, and I was a competitive snowboarder. So I usually go to activities. Mm -hmm. So I'll go out and if I'm really having a bad day, if it's anger, I'll try and run it out until I am just ready to fall on the floor and pass out. Um, If it's sadness, I might, you know, have a good cry and then same thing, go on a run, lift some weights, do something like that. Um, For me, that's a good way to get out all that energy and move it into something positive and then you're releasing the endorphins from working yeah. out and and that brings your mood up um the worst thing i can do is lay down and sleep or or drink an alcoholic drink sure. because then it just it turns into days and and feeling sorry for myself and and mm. and getting lost in that woe is me or trying to seek out attention is another really bad one because you're never going to get um, from other people, mm-hmm. what you need to um, fill or, or to, to, to take care of that pain. And that's nobody else's responsibility, but my own. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think the worst thing I can do is post on social media, having such a bad day. You know, because then the, that's waiting for people to come in and they say nice things, but they're not going to be there for you. Nothing's going to change. And I think yeah. that's the hope. And um, that just makes the pain worse and then we blame other people for that um yeah. so yeah, yeah usually what i do is is i try and work out i try and handle it myself which is the way i was raised yeah. handle it yourself this is nobody else's problem this is your problem michelle and then i i just you know as my dad would say i get after it so yeah. get out there yeah run uh, is run that
0: is that trans uh, is that transferable to your boys like when they have moments because, you know, I know I don't know what were they they weren't all that young I mean they still remember things maybe like it was yesterday and yeah. um, only four years ago that this happened so is that do you try to pass that set that example and kind of pass that torch to them on how to deal with these emotions like are they active are they in sort of this support system uh, around them? Like you mentioned, you've got your in-laws there, uh, but are they active? Does that, is that an outlet for them or what is their coping mechanism, I guess?
1: Yeah, they've actually, Brian was really involved in jujitsu. So they've Mm -hmm. started taking jujitsu. They get out a lot of aggression there. (laughs) maybe with
0: each other sometimes Sometimes it
1: builds the anger when they have to spar against each other which is just funny yeah um and yeah um my oldest son is he looks just like brian he's built just like brian he's already 6'1 and he'll probably be a solid 230 to 250 when he's he's okay full grown um so he likes to go down and work out so i have a whole workout gym in the garage so he can lift weights and do pull-ups and Mm push-ups and whatever he wants so when he's having a hard time i send him down there and he works out um uh and you know he'll take a few minutes and then he'll usually show up he's a sweetheart he's you know he's autistic but he's you can't really tell but He'll come upstairs and it's just sorry mom you know i didn't mean it i didn't you know
0: yeah
1: yeah so he's a real sweetheart and then my youngest um he usually just he's not quite as active i'm wanting to get him more active he's um but you know i'll send him off just to have a minute and and he does he does good i'll be like you know go lay down for a minute take a nap or Mm. or, you know hop in the shower and just just cry it out in there by yourself so nobody has to hear you and and yeah he does he does good so that's
0: good yeah no I mean you're setting the standard for them and and let's face it unfortunately adversity is just a a thing in life and and the cost of doing business and as we get older and more responsibilities they just things happen you know not to the catastrophic degree that they've experienced so I mean I would almost think for these guys, you know, your sons and for you, like, the world can't throw anything at you that you can't handle at this point. Like, you guys have been to the, the pinnacle of, of loss and pain. Um, so, you know, this series we're doing is called Dark Before Dawn. So talk about, as we close up, I'm going to put a bow on it right here because um, I know you got a busy day, but did your faith waver? through this? Or was it one of those things that just became kind of a light, kind of a beacon that sort of led you to the other side of some of this pain? Um, Speak a little bit about your faith and then what's next for you? Like, what's the dawn look like? How bright is this going to get for you? Like you've got a great future ahead of you from speaking and writing more. So talk about your faith and sort of how that kind of pulled you to the other side. So
1: it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I've heard that where your faith wavers for me, it wasn't my faith at all. I'll be honest. I didn't want to go to church um, Mm -hmm. because what I found was, people wanted to give me scriptures. They didn't know what to do with me. And I thought, Mm -hmm. I I know all the scriptures. I don't need Mm -hmm. a scripture. That's the scripture. Isn't going to get me through anything, you know? Um, and if it was, I'd open up my Bible and and find it, but, Mm -hmm. um, I I have all the things I need, all the tools already. Um, so I just didn't want to be around my Christian friends. They, they weren't a comfort at all, which sounds ironic, but, um,
0: a little disturbing. yeah (laughs) a little disturbing right a
1: little disturbing yeah (laughs) Yeah. but then i think back and i'm like i wouldn't have been a a help either to anybody what do you you know right yeah there's there's really nothing you can do what i didn't need was people saying oh you know um what what, like what's the the verse about um you know joy will come in the morning you know yeah yeah uh so i was like i don't need people telling me that when they've never been in this dark of a spot They have no idea what this is like. What I need to hear is this sucks. I am so sorry. And that's it. That's all I needed was like, yes, this is awful. (laughs) You know, I just needed some recognition that what I was going through was awful. And that's Mm -hmm. it. And someone to sit there and hear, listen to me. But nobody, nobody wanted to listen because it was Mm -hmm. so gnarly. Um, So really at that point, it was just me and my kids my in-laws and God, and that was it. I, I couldn't, I couldn't go to church because I couldn't hear all of the nonsense at that point. Right. Um, yeah. But what I would tell my kids all the time was, you know, life is hard, but it's good, and so is God. And that was it. That was our little saying. Like, you know, life is hard, but it's good. So is God. We'll keep moving forward. Things will get better you know, because no matter what, um, you know, I always would say I, I've done everything right. I followed all the rules like you're supposed to. And I think as Christians, we get so um, lost in the idea that if we follow the rules, right, we're good girls and boys, then life is guaranteed to be good. We're going to make good money. We're going to live this life that has hardly any, you know, changes. Maybe the most challenging thing is we break up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and that's painful, but Hey, you know, God will get us through it. Well, you know, we leave out, we seem to forget that no people do actually die, Mm-hmm. Um horrible things do actually happen and you're not immune just because you believe in God.
0: To good people. I mean things happen to good people. Yeah and and Jesus actually tells us this is going to happen. He says, you know, you'll experience tribulation but you know, take heart I've overcome the world. So, you know, there's nobody no no scripture says that you guys just because you believe it means that you're going to be smooth. Life's going to be smooth. That that's not true. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah.
1: yeah. And we see somebody fall and we think oh, they must have done something wrong. And I think, sure. and I remember thinking that after Brian died, like, wow, I definitely didn't do anything wrong. I know I, I did everything right. And yeah. here I am. Um, and and this is happening to me, not for the first time again. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, because growing up it was one thing after another where, you know, finally getting over the shyness and and then going to college and having a seizure my first day of college classes. And I was like, what? No one in my family has epilepsy. Like that's totally random and being told, well, by my parents, you don't get to come home. You need to overcome this. And so I did. And then, you know, realizing that I can either be a victim of this or I can move on and live my life. Um, No different than anybody else, you know, and and so I did I mean, you know, so I I had to learn to overcome and overcome and then having a kid who was born, and he had special needs, and I didn't do anything to deserve that and neither did he, right? Um, you know, and then for him to lose his dad and have to go through that, um, and, and be the challenges he faced at school after losing his dad where he was bullied even by a teacher i mean there were so many things that i was like we don't deserve any of this right but i thought surely god is building us for something remarkable Mm -hmm. and i must be very special because this is amazing
0: wow yeah and that takes us full circle back to what i said at the beginning the scars kind of become the scaffolding that elevates us to a purpose that maybe we didn't know about so if you're you know you've got a blank canvas and you're painting this picture for the next chapter of your purpose in life obviously the boys uh raising them and uh encouraging empowering them as part of your purpose but in light of the book and people out there that need to hear what you have to say and other gold star families. So what does your purpose look like going forward?
1: Um, I hope um, what I'd like my purpose to be is to just inspire people to choose to be overcomers and not victims, because I think we have become, a society of people Mm -hmm. who love victimhood. Mm -hmm. And there is no honor in that. And there's no victory in that there's only death and you lose your life. The minute you, you give in and decide to become a victim, the rest of your life, you might as well be dead,
0: you know? Yeah. And you're giving somebody else the keys, right? You're giving somebody else the keys. And, uh, it sounds like to me, you've, you've taken back the keys if they were ever really taken from you. Cause it sounds like you've, you've been early on, you learned how to drive the bus through adversity, through the storm. Um, but yeah, I see that being exactly what you do going forward. And, and you and I don't know each other that well, but just hearing a couple of times that you've talked and, and, talking to you today uh i can tell that there's more to be done like this is you're just scraping the surface to the people that you're going to inspire and impact and and your boys are just they haven't even caught a glimpse of what their future holds because i can't wait to see like there's something big like you said out there um so yeah you know i michelle if you can let us know tell us right now like where we can go is there a website um to get the book, maybe to check out some of your speaking engagements that are coming up, or how to how to how would anybody book you for a speaking engagement if, if that was even something you plan to do?
1: Yeah, I actually am doing a lot of speaking engagements. Let me grab my book. Um, so this is my book. Let me see if I can get it in there's so a there sacrifice, go. a gold star widow's fight for the truth. Um, and my website, um is Michelle black or yeah Michelle black <laughs> and then um, you can also find me um, all across social media Michelle black 71 or author Michelle black on Facebook
0: yeah yeah awesome I, I think that's uh, is the website fairly new um
1: yeah, it's, it's a work in progress, but um, right now, if you do go to michelleblacksacrifice.com, you'll find all the links to my books, all the articles okay. or my book, the, all the articles I've written, interviews I've done, um, and you'll find my social media links.
0: Okay. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Well, it's been an honor and audience. Uh, this did not disappoint. I, I've been looking forward to this all week. I knew this was going to be powerful, and just to watch the strength and the courage of of somebody who's been through the degree of loss that this family's been through, and now she's leading two young boys to be strong and courageous as well. Uh, the world needs more people like this, and so on behalf of the audience, Michelle, I want to thank you, and uh, till next time, she's been Michelle Black. We've been last in line. Be blessed. We'll